Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Tommaso Buganza. Tommaso Buganza is Professor of Leadership and Innovation at Politecnico di Milano. His research activities are at the crossroad of technology, innovation, and leadership. He believes platforms are the missing link among them and teaches platform thinking to executives and consults international companies in search of a platform-based transformation. Tommaso, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited about this conversation. So thank you. Thank you to you, Jared, for having me. I'm very excited too. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's dive right in. What, in your mind, is innovation? (laughs) This is, of course, a very difficult question, especially if you speak with somebody who's actually spending his own life in making research on innovation. Of course, there are many different definitions and you can find them in literature and so on. When I think about innovation, the first word that comes to my mind is actually responsibility. Mm. I mean, the point here is that, of course, you can do innovation in many different ways. And if you look around, you see many different companies doing incredible innovation. Some of them are working very well. Some of them are just, you know, Mm -hmm. not many of them are just not working. But the point is, why do you do it? So in a certain way, I think that when you do innovation, it's not just a matter of trying to find something that people will like. There is also another possible approach that is a bit more complex to me, but it is a, what is the future that you would like to see? Mm. So when you do innovation, when you do real innovation, so we're not just talking about incremental innovation, you change a color, you add an antenna or another camera to a phone. When you try to do real innovation, it's not just a matter of doing something new. It is trying to shape the future of the society in which we live. Mm. Which means that if you don't think carefully about why you want to do innovation and what is the desirable future that you would like to enable with your innovation, you can also make very big mistakes. You can create a sort of future that you will not really like a lot. I'm sure all of us, we are very familiar with Black Mirror and the first season about it. Right. That's a point. That's a little bit of a point. The point is, what is the future that you would like to live in? the future that you would like to leave to your kids. Mm. What is the future that is desirable? Right. We don't want to forecast the future. We want to design the future. Mm. I love that. The difference between forecasting something and designing it. Can you sort of unpack that for folks? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that probably this is coming from my background. I'm an engineer, management engineer. Mm. And so I live in an engineering school. So we got serious engineers, you know, doing this incredible stuff in our university. And all of a sudden, some years ago, we started to say, okay, but can we really try to imagine the future? One of the main traits of our university, which is a polytechnic, it is that even if we do different things, because you got erratic engineers, you got architects, you got designers, you got management engineers, chemical engineers, nuclear engineers. Even if we all do different things, there is a common trait that is the the project. So we we like to design something for the future. Mm. And so we started by saying, you know what? I don't want to try to forecast the future. I want to design it. I want to imagine the future that I think is the correct This is part of my responsibility. Mm. So one of the examples that we always do is Star Trek. (laughs) Ah, right. (laughs) So if you think about 
the old Star Trek. They had these moving doors. Yes. Or they had the headphones for the communication. And actually, all of these things are now real. Mm. So you go in a supermarket and the doors are opening automatically. Right. You connect with headphones, which are very, very similar to the ones that were in the original TV show. And if you think about it, it's not that they forecasted the future. No, no, they created a future that was plausible, that was interesting. Mm. And at a certain point, somebody with the right technology, but didn't know what to do. Right. And what did they do? They did what was imagined by somebody else because it was plausible, because it was desirable, because it was nice, because it was cool. Right, right. So this is the idea of designing the future. Mm. And this is innovation to me. This is a big responsibility. That's such a great example because it's fiction. Star Trek is fiction, right? And I think a lot of times when we think about what innovation is, we don't always include fiction or literature or things of that nature. When, to your point, not just Gene Roddenberry with Star Trek, but Jules Verne and many, many other fiction authors designed the future with their vivid portrayals of what it could be. And Star Trek is a fascinating example because I'm sure there was someone off camera pulling a rope or doing something to make that door open. <laughs> but it, it was basically a minimum viable product, an early prototype of the grocery store doors. And you're right. Someone had to think about how might people solve this problem 300, 400 years from now? And what could I do to approximate that to help bring people into that world? I hadn't really thought about the difference between forecasting and designing being kind of that intentionality. That's a great call out. The interesting thing is that in that case, you had pure fiction, and then somebody with the right knowledge was able to make it happen. Right. But that was a sort of proto-example. So what we do imagine and expect now is that the people with the right technology, they also have the desire of designing a better future. So we try to put the two things together, mm -hmm. which is quite difficult because, uh, I mean, in many cases, when you are completely focused on technology, you focus on technology and not really on how to use it. Right, right. So one of the super nice things that happened to me many times, and I'm so lucky to be in a school like mine, is that I had very, very clever people with super technologies asking, okay, but what should I do with it? Mm. <laughs> then, yes. Yeah, yes. That's a good question. <laughs> yes. You, should, you should have thought about it before, probably, but this is a right. good question. Right. So. Yeah. No, it's, um, there's that old proverb, the best time to plant a shade tree was 50 years ago. The second best time is, yeah. is today. <laughs> the best time to think about why you're doing something is before you build it from a technology standpoint. But the second best time is today. As soon as it occurs to you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as soon as it occurs to you. That's exactly right. This concept of responsibility, I think it's so important in a conversation about innovation, and it doesn't come up very often. Tell me more about what responsibility looks like in an innovation process. So one that has a sense of responsibility baked into it versus one that doesn't. Well, let's start from a second one, which probably is easier. Yeah. There is another question that very often comes along with what is innovation and what is not innovation mm -hmm. or what it should not be. And I think that, again, I come from an engineering school, so a lot of technology and so on. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we make when we think about innovation is to consider innovation as a technological innovation. Mm. So the biggest mistake it was normally called a technological substitution. And you see it every time. So every single time you got a new technology, the first thing that we normally try doing 
And it's surprising that we are not really learning out of it. Because the first thing that we always try doing is to replicate what we used to do before with the previous technology using the new one. Mm. And that happens since ever. So think about the, the cinema. The first thing that were projected in the cinemas were actually actual plots recorded in theater and then screened at a cinema. Uh. But of course, it was terrible. Of course, it was terrible because the technology was embryonic stage of development. Right which means that you didn't have the color, you didn't have the voice. So it was very terrible. And then at a certain point, we started to understand that, no, probably you can do something else. So you don't have to replicate. You can, for example, use special effects. Mm. So you got King Kong. Right. King Kong is great. It's something that you cannot do in a theater. On a stage, right. Then the television arrived and we made the same. First thing we did, we just put the movies on the television. Before understanding that you could do the quiz show, before understanding that you can do the TV series, before understanding that you can do Big Brother, and so on and so forth. Mm. And if you think about it, this is happening now with the metaverse as well. This is exactly the same thing happening in AI game, hmm. which is you got a new technology and you think that that is innovation. No, the new technology is an enabler for innovation, hmm. but you need to do something different. So you need to find what is somehow unveiled, enclosed, something that is hidden into the new technology that you didn't see so far. And that is the point in which the responsibility comes. Ah. Because when you see something into a technology, you should ask yourself how to use it to make a better world out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this period of our lives in which technologies, you, know, you see everything that is happening with artificial intelligence and so on, there is an incredible acceleration. And this is very dangerous because people will start using this stuff just to do new things without really asking themselves, why are you doing it? Mm. Does it make any sense? We've got many problems. We've got grand challenges. Right. What are we actually doing for these things? Mm. So before starting, we were talking about climate change and so on. Mm -hmm. So what can we do with these incredible technologies in order to move in that direction? Right, right. What is, should not be technological substitution, and it is what it should be. So look carefully, but with a purpose, mm. into the technology to find something new. I see. I see. So the technological substitution comes about when people look at this wheel was solving this problem before. And so now I'm going to make this wheel out of this other material and have the same thing versus trying to think about, OK, well, well it, actually, it was providing a means of transportation or it was simplifying this problem. And how might I solve that problem with a new technology versus substituting this new technology for the old one, one for one. You're one of us already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm already, I'm already uh, on the bus with you. I think that the way you insert responsibility as a almost like a proof point or like a sort of a reminder in this way of sort of interrupting this natural technological substitution thought process, I think is really important because responsibility can have, it's a two-sided coin, right? There's like, what good could we do? And also, what harm can we prevent? And I think, as your example with generative AI, I think the coin landed on what harm can we prevent? <laughs> and people are having a lot of trouble thinking about, okay, well, what about the other side of the coin? Let me tell you a story about it, because I think that you're touching a very important point. It's a, it's a big measure of attitude. Mm. So let's talk about uh, artificial intelligence and ChatGPT. I live in a university, so I got courses, I got students, and of course, we make exams. So the, the whole university panicked at a certain point. So 
they, <laughs> the right. students, they <laughs> will use ChatGPT. And so the first thing we did was actually putting our past exams into ChatGPT to see if actually ChatGPT was able to solve the problem. And uh, it was quite good, actually. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would say that it was perfect. So probably I would have answered in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. But I've been studying these things for like 20 years. Right. No, ChatGPT in like two months actually learned enough to get out with a good mark. Mm. So let's say probably a B or a so initially we got marks between uh, zero and thirty. So I probably could take you know twenty five, twenty six, which is which is good. Which is right. Many students don't get to that point ever. <laughs> and again, and I saw it in a very technological, technical school. But their reaction was like, uh, how can we prevent them from using it? Okay, right. So it was on the negative side. Mm -hmm. While we tried uh, to do something different, why don't we force them to use ChatGPT for the exam? Mm. So. I give you a prompt, and I want you to put the prompt in, and I want you to give me the answer that is provided by, and then I want you to comment on the answer, mm. to tell me what is right, what is wrong, and so on. Now, it's a matter of attitude. I think that even if the responsibility is yours, so you have got the responsibility, it's not the technology. Mm. Technology by itself is not good or bad. It's how you decide to use it and how you want to leverage it so what is the inner reason why you decide to use these things? And I think that every single time we react in a stupid way, like, okay, so let's stop the technology, is because we are not really able to face the real problem. Right. The problem is us, it's not the technology. So what do you do with it? It's your responsibility. Mm. The technology, by definition, is a thing, cannot have a responsibility. Right. You cannot give a responsibility to that technology. Mm. That's fascinating. And when you flip it and put the responsibility on the individual, there are a few different kinds of stakeholders in that process, right? There's the user, there's the creator, there are regulators. What you're saying that I don't hear very often is that everyone has responsibility in this process. Every individual from every angle, every stakeholder. And I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of folks sort of abdicating their responsibility as users and saying, government regulate this or creator be more responsible. When the modern car was invented, there were regulations. We decided what side of the road we were going to drive on, what they needed to have, headlights and things like that. But there's always, from day one, been an inherent responsibility on the driver. And I think that's what's interesting and curious to me is, as generative AI has kind of stepped to the forefront, that same inherent user responsibility hasn't come along as with other technologies. Yeah. About this, I also think that, again, this is another coin with two different sides. Mm -hmm. Especially in Europe, we like regulation a lot. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and probably we're quite good at this. It's, uh, mm -hmm. Italy was a country which blocked ChatGPT for a while. Right. The point is that, uh, again, uh, in the moment in which companies start to say, we would like to be regulated, it's okay. So it seems to be good to listen to this. They understand they got the responsibility. But they are basically giving the responsibility to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the users, they want everything to be regulated because they want to give the responsibility to somebody else. Mm. And then it's not sure this is exactly the right way of looking at it. So, <laughs> right, right. So before asking what other stakeholders can do to be responsible, the very first question would be, what can you do? to be responsible. Mm. 
So it's a sort of alibi, yeah. this thing of asking for rules, yeah. which is, you know, strange. I'm not sure I completely like it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Everyone's sort of passing the buck, so to speak, to use a colloquialism. But I think the concept of responsibility and innovation and how that comes to life, not just through the person who creates this new technology or this new thing or this new idea, or this new service or whatever, new piece of art. It's not just the creator that bears the the weight of responsibility. It's the person who's consuming the art, the person who's using the technology. And to your point about Star Trek, I think the more broadly we can think about what is happening right now, the better. <laughs> because right now, I think as a society, we're having a very technology-driven reaction to this. And it seems like it's become very compartmentalized in terms of like, okay, well, the people that understand how this works need to regulate it, need to control it. And I don't know how, I mean, I'm a chemical engineer. This is probably something I shouldn't say out loud, but <laughs> I don't know exactly how my car works. Yeah. The, I can sketch out like in principle how it works, but the responsibility is still on me to point it in the right direction and not use it in an unsafe way. So I think it's really um, mind opening this idea of what does it mean to be responsible in an ecosystem where innovation is happening at the pace that it's happening today. I think you're completely right. And I think that the interesting point is to put on your responsible lenses when you are looking for something new into your new technology. Mm. So this is not a neutral act. I don't believe in neutral acts. Ah, okay. I don't believe that you just do things because, you know, you're a technical engineer, you're developing this. You're just a technical guy is neutral. No, I don't think that anything is neutral, mm -hmm. especially if you're dealing with innovations like this. Right, right, right. But <laughs> well, you're right. It's, it's not only you. It's, it's, it's you as a regulator, as the user, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So we should stop throwing our responsibilities on others. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. take, your, take your part of it. I, yeah, I will take mine. Pick, pick up your share of the, of the responsibility. That's right. I like it. <laughs> so you're an educator in a polytechnic university. A lot of the elements of responsibility come back to ethics, come back to philosophy and other things like that, even back to religion for certain folks. Do you think the current structure of how technologists are educated sets them up to think about responsibility in a more humanistic, society-driven <laughs> sort of way? Does that question make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes sense a lot. And I think that so there are a couple of things uh, about uh, my background and who I am. So uh, I didn't tell you that I'm a professor of leadership and innovation. Oh, wow. So there's a part of leadership connected to it. And the other thing is that I come from a country in which uh, we still study a lot of philosophy and history in our high schools. So mm. that's probably the reason why we are not technically so good at the beginning. But uh, the kind of education that we've got, in many cases, is very open and variegated. And I think that this is impacting a lot on how we shape what we do. Mm. So going back to your question, we've got uh, courses of uh, leadership and innovation leadership in our university. And these courses are for management engineers, but not only. Mm. We've got the same courses for uh, mechanical engineers, for aerospace engineers, and so on. Right. It's not compulsory mm -hmm. still. <laughs> it's compulsory also only for managers, so man right. management engineers. Right. But uh, no, we do recognize that this is incredibly important, how you lead the innovation 
it is not just the typical leadership or only the typical leadership, transactional leadership, how you deal, you know, the, how you communicate a vision and so on. But it's also how the vision makes sense to you. Mm. How does that connect to your values? What is important to you? What is your purpose in life? Why do you do this thing? Right, right. There's one thing that we try to teach to managers, to our students, and it is that if you do things because you want to increase the value of shareholders, you might lose somehow the direction and the real reason for why you're doing things. Mm -hmm. If you do things because they make sense, at a certain point, you will also have the shareholder value. Mm. I'm very convinced of it, but I'm not alone. Right. I mean, if you go to the United States in Harvard, it was some years ago, a great article in the Harvard Business Review, that is, you know, the ROI is not the real beacon that you should have. Do things that make sense. Right. And this will come later. I think that we need to help people to think, not to tell them what to think, but to enable their ability of having a critical mindset towards what they're doing. Mm. And that critical mindset would apply then not only to, is my code solid? Did I design this pipe the right way? But also, how am I interacting with stakeholders? How am I setting my strategic plans? How am I thinking through how to set priorities within my team and with other folks cross-functionally? So that critical mindset would expand beyond their technical expertise. Yes, and even more. There is one thing that we do. I'm also a professor in the business school. Mm. And in many cases, we make these programs with companies. And one thing that we try to put very clear is that if you think that you want to increase the capabilities of your employees from a technical point of view and full stop, you're making a big mistake. Mm. They are human beings before being anything else. So I think that if a human being is spending how much? Eight hours, 10 hours a day, yeah. five days a week in a place, that place should be also the place in which you are improving as a human being, not only as a chemical engineer or as a logistic you know, right. manager. Right. So I think that that goes even beyond what you do in the company mm -hmm. is you as a person who can improve and should improve continuously. Mm. And if you spend so much time, so much of your awakened time in a company, right. that's a good place to learn something about how you behave with society, with your wife, with your friends, how you lead people around you. Yeah, well said, well said. That's a great point. It's been a great conversation. And before I let you go, I would love to hear if you have any advice for innovators out there. <laughs> That's another huge question. Uh, yeah. Any advice at all? Yeah. <laughs> any advice at all? Mm -hmm. I would say that going back to responsibility. So we've been making research in the last almost 10 years about platforms and digital platforms. Mm -hmm. So companies like uh, Uber or Airbnb or even Google or Amazon or Meta and so on. And the kind of way that they have got to create value, to capture value. And after a lot of research about it, we came out with different frameworks and models that try to explain the difference between how Google is creating value instead of Airbnb, because in some cases you've got a transaction enabled, like Airbnb, you've got somebody giving a place and somebody going to the place, there is an exchange of money, you take part of the fee. Google is doing something completely, or, or Facebook is doing something completely different. They do not enable any transaction, but they enable some advertisers to mm -hmm. access your eyeballs. And there are even other models that are more complicated in which you provide a service and people using the service is leaving you a certain amount of data and you use the data to create value. 
Netflix is using the data about how we consume other products in order to create new TV series that are wonderful and so on. Mm. So we've been looking at all of these models, how they work and the problems and so on. And then all of a sudden we were hit completely by big question. So there is, in a certain way, there is this idea that this way of looking at business in a different way, mm -hmm. so you do not have a linear value chain, you buy stuff, you transform stuff, you sell stuff, but you got the multi-client because you got customers on all sides. Yes. So it's a completely different, multi-space way of looking at business. At a certain point, that seemed to be connected only to digital startups in the Silicon Valley. Right. Or maybe you can remove the Silicon Valley. So you can have something in Sweden like Spotify or, you know, something in the Netherlands like Booking.com. Mm -hmm. But are we sure about it? So we started to think, are we sure that only startups can use these mechanisms? And we started to ask ourselves, why are these startups using this approach? And basically because they got nothing. Mm. They do not have a lot of money. They do not have knowledge. They do not have an ecosystem, connections, a brand, and so on. Right. And this kind of approach is very scalable and very effective and so on. Mm -hmm. And then we did what we normally do. We are researchers. So we tried to change some of the variables into the game. And we started to ask ourselves, and what if we think about an established company using the same system? Mm. So it's going to be a lot easier for them because they already got connections and the brand and so on. They got money to invest. They've got technologies, they've got customers. So they already have got many of those things that startups don't have. Right. So we are still talking about Airbnb and Uber because being sincere, the number of companies which tried to do something similar is huge, but many of them failed. Mm. Why? Because they were not able to build it up, to solve the chicken and egg paradox, to grow in a certain way and so on. But if you're an established company, probably you can use the mechanism without all of the risks uh, mm. that a startup has. Mm -hmm. So we started with this very, very, it's a responsibility again. So we saw the responsibility for us, and the responsibility is why don't we explain to established companies how to abandon or to change the way in which they conceive the business in a linear way, and we welcome them into this platform, multi-sided, multi-customer environment. Mm. If they unlock this way of thinking, they can do incredible things. Now, we've got very big problems in our society, and probably some companies like Uber can do something, but can you imagine if oil companies or automotive companies mm. or energy companies or big companies like these ones, which have an incredible impact on what is happening on our planet, if they unlock a different way to think the business, what can they do with it? So my part of responsibility is to explain to them that they can do things in a different way. Uh, and we are doing it in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And very part of the responsibility is now use it in a savvy way, so use right. it in a correct way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's shared responsibility again. There. So what, what are we doing for that? So we wrote a book, first of all, which is called Platform Thinking, mm -hmm. which is meant exactly to make the manager see how these mechanisms for creating and appropriating value work. And then we work with companies, we do consultancy, and we created a conference. And we also have got some MOOCs on Coursera. Mm -hmm. And now we launched an observatory in Italy with big companies. So we don't want, it's not that we don't like them. We love the startups. So we don't want startups. Right. Because the point is, 
you can do it even if you're not a startup. Mm. But now we've got 10 big companies in Italy which are part of this observatory, which are trying to apply these things. Ah, right. My suggestion is try to think that the world can be different and the way of looking at business can be not linear. There is a huge land of opportunity that you can use just because you are not a startup. So (laughs) (laughs) we want to talk to established companies, maybe big. Yeah. Oh, no, that's so great. Shifting that mindset. Being big or being established doesn't mean you can't rethink or reimagine. That's so important. And I appreciate you you kind of highlighting that for the audience. Tomazzo Buganza, thank you so much for your time. Innovation is a responsibility. Thank you very much for spending time and learned a lot, a lot to think about. So I appreciate you joining us today. Great chat, sir. I had a great time. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>